You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. I'm curious how you kind of got into the biz. You seem to be kind of a, a hyphenate of uh, acting, producing, directing, all kinds of stuff. I, I mean, I knew that I wanted to be an actress early on. I knew it at 11 <laughs> when my mom put me into acting classes because I was really shy. I don't think it was her idea that I'd like it this much. <laughs> and then I got into doing more theater and then film. And then I realized, hey, I can make my own films. And I started collaborating with friends. And I went going to see a purchase for new media and uh, kind of snowballed from 11 till now <laughs> to doing events and, and film festivals and, and yeah, doing it all <laughs> in that realm. You've done cinematography, you've written, you've edited, you've acted. What do you kind of prefer when it comes to this? Well, I, I really love to to focus on my, my art and, and uh, acting and directing. So if I had to like choose to kind of focus down, it's, it's, it's to focus on the acting and directing. Which, again, is like, you know, two vastly different things from what I understand. <laughs> yeah. But for for me, you know, like it's the it's the art first, you know, it's the idea that, that comes first, and then I think of like, okay, you know, what who is in this world, and then who can I bring into this project, and then where can we play from there? So tell me about some of the stuff that you've directed. Tell me about uh, Church for Sale. Okay, that was um, a short film, and it was uh, you know a personal story. And I, a small, small, you know, production, we shot a couple days in, in Canada, in Toronto, actually. I, after I watched, um, it was definitely inspired by Short Bus, uh, John Carter Mitchell's film that was playing that year. It was very, and I just thought that was so sweet. You know, so that, a lot of the films um, that I watched, you know, I love Agnes Varda, and so, just kind of that, you know, going to film festivals is a lot of really great energy. So started shooting it there, and then I came back to Long Island, and uh, I casted a friend to play my co-star, and we shot the scenes. And, yeah, it was kind of like, okay, let's collaborate. We had a shot. We didn't even have a full script. We had a shot list because it was a silent film. And to where we, we showed it, we showed it at the, the Cinema Arts Center, and I even got a writer from New York Times to review it. And then I ended up, you know, selling it for, actually the first copies I sold for $5 on DVD. And then I realized, oh, that's just cost. <laughs> and so then I started selling for $10. Uh, and we sold about 500 copies of that DVD. And that was the first real film that I made and then did a cover for and sold on, went to conventions and sold on DVD. It was a really amazing process to, to learn from and to really um, get out there and realize, oh, I, I have people who want to watch my films <laughs> and support my work. Which is always a nice feeling. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Recognition 
and 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 it's a kind of a collaborative thing, you know, not just with me and the the cast and crew, but with my relationship with the fans because it like it's then it's not about me anymore, you know. It's about you know how I can also inspire other people that they can do the same, that they can go out and have fun and play and do their art as well. Now, did that kind of lead to Salome? Yeah, yeah. So Salome basically kind of did a, that had more, that was also another silent film. We, sh- we got a little bit smarter. We shot in one day. We, we, in a studio, we had everybody come to the studio in Brooklyn. And then we went, like we, I got the costumes. We did, we shot the, we did rehearsal. We, sh- we shot one day and then we cut it. Uh, and then I did the same thing. I bought it. Actually, I was bringing these DVDs to the horror convention and comic book convention uh, circuit because I before that I had edited the documentary on Vampira and I was on panels and stuff. So I was able to promote my own stuff as well as you know a project that I just edited, which was still a lot of work. And I'm glad I was part of that process. So you said you did the editing on the Vampira documentary. And looking at your filmography, you go from you know these two short films into directing a full-length feature documentary about Bill Plimpton. How did that kind of come about? Because it seems kind of like a, a left turn other than seeing what you've done in the past with the vampire stuff. Yeah, well, I actually had, had done a lot of like short documentaries um, before. Um, I did in, in college and, and after. The, the last documentary short that I did before the feature was a short on a Parisian artist named Beatrice Valentine Emmerheim. And this piece showed in like a lot of museums. And so finally, I was looking at that time, you know, after editing a full feature for somebody else, I, I then had the confidence to say, Hey, I could do my own feature. I've done, you know, documentaries before, you know, like why, why can't I jump into this, this feature realm? And so I was looking for a project, and right, at, I bumped into Bill Plimpton throughout my, you know, going to festivals and and being around the New York film scene. And so right at the, that time, he came back to my came to my local cinema and did his master class. And and the, that's when the kind of light bulb finally went off. For like, oh, you know, this is a great example to show other people that you can be a full time artist. You can have weird wacky stuff, and and do what you love. You know, so so perfect, great. So I asked him to do the documentary. He said, put together a proposal. I said, okay. And and then we kind of went off from there. It was my first you know, directorial documentary debut, really. But it was all in the kind of same, the same vein of, of the stuff that I'd been doing. So the film starts with you telling this little story about being shocked by the back of his tie with the naked lady on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How old were you when you saw that, and and were you really shocked? Yeah, I was. I was. I must. I think I was nineteen. Uh, yeah, I think I was about nineteen and uh, eighteen or nineteen. And yeah, I really was. A, well, I was a late bloomer. You know, <laughs> I was like, "What is going on? Is this what the film industry is all about? Like, it's like a award show, and people, with, you know, make ladies on their ties." I'm like, "I don't know what's going on." <laughs> but yeah, then, but then I kind of saw his work, and I got, I got it. You know, I'm like, "Oh, okay." You know, but I also, you know, 
I also met other filmmakers that that, that shock factor, they didn't realize that that's very much from the you know, 60s and 70s, you know, that that's how they get attention. Yeah, because your films kind of, they're, they're rather sexually frank. So when you told that story, I was like, how long ago was that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just when I was getting my feet wet. I'm amazed at the interviews that you got for the Plumpton documentary. How did you land some of those people like Bakshi and, and Terry Gilliam? Yeah, well, a lot of a lot of persistence and, and just over time. Um, I mean, Terry Gilliam, I had to bump into him on like both coasts in New York when he was in town from New York. I called him up at his hotel room. They're like, he's like, they have me booked every nanosecond of a nanosecond. And then I bumped into him again at the AFI festival. Um, I waited on the standby line and got in. And then I always know I'm, I'm always the person to like wait, um, like after a Broadway show to get like autographs and stuff. So I always know even before they go on stage, I'm like, I know where they're going to be. They can be behind the stage or, or, you know, back by where everybody came in. So I always, you know, and there, and I actually met Terry Gilliam at a screening at the IC center, like a couple of years before, before I, I was even doing the project. And he was giving out a poster for Tideland. And he was showing a movie that he had just picked. It was just, it was like a Belgian film. So so he's like, well, he's going on to his next leg of his trip. He can't bring the poster with him. He's going to give it away. So he's like, how do I do it? So I just yelled to the stage. I'm like, whoever runs, whoever runs to the stage first gets it. And he's like, what? I'm like, whoever runs to the stage first gets it. I like ran to the stage, grabbed the poster. And, uh, and it was like the poster and also like a big sign that he wrote on the back because he was doing a big promotion in front of like the Tonight Show or whatever New York show it was. And so then I befriended his daughter, who was there uh, as his assistant, and got his email. And so I just kind of being persistent and, you know, creating relationships. Even a lot of some of the people that are in the film now are already friends or worked with Bill Clinton. So some of it was just getting up the ball to call them, <laughs> you know, multiple times to kind of set it up or email them, things like that. How was he as an interview subject? Bill Clinton? Bill is really used to getting interviewed. So I actually had to throw a lot of curveballs to get him to kind of um, go into more of like the natural stuff and the stuff that like he doesn't normally talk about. Uh, but I think we finally, I was very happy with what we got at the end. I think I pulled as much as I could, you know, out of him that he would allow me to. And even at the end, he's, you know, like after he saw the last cuts, like he still cut out that I'm like, oh, but I really liked, you know, even that other people said, I'm like, I really like that. I wanted to keep that person apart. He's like, no, no, he's not, you know, for real. I'm like, really? Are you sure? So, yeah, he's very guard, Bill is very guard. He doesn't want his entire personal life. Not like we went into like entirely that amount, but so I, but I really want to show how the human side of Bill. Well, I was very happy to see the very derogatory critic in there as well. Yeah, you got that joke though, right? Yes. <laughs> Not everybody does. Like, so even people who know him for for like twenty five years, they're like, "Why did you have that guy in there?" I'm like, "Uh, you know, it's him." <laughs> but but it's all based on stuff that other critics have said about his work. So he definitely Bill reads everything that's written about him, 
and he takes it very personally. Now, you're working on another documentary right now about being a ginger. Yeah. How is that going? It's going great. It's going great. I just did a photo, another photo shoot on, on Sunday, actually, like yesterday or the day before, Saturday. Um, it was, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the best part I like about the Ginger Girls, the Secret Lives of Redheads documentary is the friends I got to make. Um, and, 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 and the, and the photography part, because it's, it's a documentary, it's a photo book, and then I'm collaging the best photos into my paintings. So it's a transmedia project. And I, my goal is to have a premiere in Las Vegas and have a gathering and have like lots of art of Ginger's uh, show. You know, that's my, on my vision board. <laughs> Are you going to finally dispel the myth about Ginger's not having souls? What? You mean we have souls? Tell me more about Little Fishes. So Little Fishes is a drama, and it's about three girls who get back together after a reunion, uh, basically haven't seen each other in about 10 years. And it's a whole bunch of, yeah, relationship drama, basically. Two of the girls kind of have this friends with benefits sort of relationship um, after a long time, and it's kind of confusing. And then... uh, the other girl, the third girl, Marina, um, kind of feels left out, and she's just like, what the hell? And then she is having some issues with her boyfriend and then hooks up with their other friend. And, uh, and then it goes. It, we have a whole subplot, like in the present, where Pearl, the character that I play, is having a, a relationship with this other girl, Angel, and then sh- she's having trouble actually living in the present. She she keeps on going back to her past. So it's really about like mistakes and and how really all of the characters need to work more on themselves and their and especially their self love. Is it gonna be a feature or another short? This is a feature. Ah, narrative feature. Yeah. Yeah. Are you scared? I'm not scared actually. Uh this is really a lot of fun. I mean it was a lot of work. Uh but it it felt it felt very much like when I started Church for Sale, actually. It just very natural. It was a lot of um, you know, challenging and I definitely challenged myself, but I I so lucky the talent that I found, you know, to play opposite me. They really rised up and I was able to you know, we were able to work on a, a really great quality level. So I'm really happy about that. And even with you know, cinematography, you know, the the costumes, every single part of it. It's it's uh, it's play. <laughs> now I've seen the clips that you have on your Indiegogo. It seems like you've shot at quite a bit of it or a little bit of it. How is the actual shooting going for that? Yeah, yeah. We're actually we're now on Kickstarter. We have two days left to go. We actually have a rough cut of sixty five the sixty five minute rough cut. We have one more day to shoot with one uh, one more character, uh, multiple scenes. So we really need another 10, 10 to 15 minutes for the film, to, for it to be full. And then a day of additional uh, dialogue recording just for the sound. Uh, we still have to do like the cover, all the key art, um, and then prep for going to the Cannes Film Festival where we're going to be showing it in the Cannes Market. This year's festival, the May one? Mm-hmm, yeah. Wow. 
I don't know why I said Indiegogo when I'm even looking at the Kickstarter page oh, right no now. Worries. No worries. So. We, did, we did do an Indiegogo campaign, you know, and, and we did even another campaign before that. And we even used Fractured Atlas where people give donations specifically to my Fractured Atlas page, which we'll do after this campaign ends. So people can still give, you know, and still get rewards until like, you know, the ending, the end of April. Uh, but that's what you have to do. You have to be continuously fundraising, especially for a micro-budget project. How did you come up with the pledge goal of $1,888? Eight is my lucky number with crowdfunding. <laughs> so I kind of want I want to pick a low goal because I want to get that by a certain date. I had um, a talk, a crowdfunding talk that I was going to be doing in a case study on little fish. So I want to go into that event being fully funded and then have stretch goals and specifically say what each thing was going to be paying for. So, I mean, even that amount, the first amount, that's basically for like the market badges and the screening. You've done a lot of crowdfunded fundraising with this one. Then you also did with uh, the Ginger documentary. Obviously, it's been a success for you. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, the last four years, from getting finishing funds from Adventures of Home Tunes, we raised $10,000 on that. But we also, some people who were on the board of a grant told me to submit to the specific grant for people in my area. And then we got that grant, and that was for $6,500. So, um, you know, when you put a call out and say, hey, I have a project, I love it, you know, would you, first, would you be interested in watching this too? You know, second, you know, we, we need to get to the finish line. Can you be part of it? Um, it's, it's becomes that collaborative process. And it's also the, the start, really started building my career. Uh, it's not just about the money. That's the one thing, like, I, I try to tell people that I've actually gotten interest from not just press, but film festivals and distributors because I have a campaign. And now even Vimeo is offering, you know, money to money into people that have started with the crowdfunding campaign. It's really the beginning of the marketing process for your film to show to distributors that, hey, yeah, people do want to watch my movie. And and I'm not just making this as labor of love. I, I'm like, yeah, it's labor of love, but all the people love it too. <laughs> kind of like a, also a really great accountability for like, hey, like especially with my ginger, you know, I mean, all projects that take a lot, usually longer than you think. So when you're saying you're putting it out there like, hey, you know, I'm doing this project, you're getting accountability from the people around you. Has anybody had any problems with funding Little Fishes since it seems to be such a strong lesbian narrative? I haven't been marketing it as that. And maybe it'd be a lot easier if I had, um, but I really marketed to my existing fans mostly and people in the independent film community. You know, going forward, especially this next month, I'll, I'll probably do more in that realm. I am excited about, like, the crowd, crowdfunding, and actually, I do now teach a group coaching class, because crowd, crowd, doing crowdfunding for your project is the most stressful thing you could ever think about, and so I started getting together groups to, like, really coach them through the process, and, and one of the things that I really work on is, is the stress. And then also the creative brainstorming when you're you're doing your marketing for the projects for each different project. So, 
Do you ever feel like you're begging? Sometimes, yeah, when I'm on Twitter. But but then I, I go back to, it feels, for me, for me, when I get to campaigns, and I've given to like 68 campaigns on Kickstarter, it feels good every time. I get that even if it's $10 or $5 or $1, I'm like, I feel good that I've been a part of, you know, a progress, of, of, a, of the process. Uh, and so it's a, it's a rush when I get to a campaign. So I have to always remember that, you know, I'm also giving a gift to somebody to be a part of it and and that they want to. That, you know, nobody forces anybody to give to a campaign. That's impossible. <laughs> uh, going back to the, the Ginger documentary, are you kind of aiming for getting interviews with some of the more famous Gingers that are around still? Yeah. Yeah, I I am. We have Angie Everhart is our most famous Ginger that um, so far. But yeah, that's that's the goal. And so for that project, we're basically looking for some the company sponsors at this point, so to help pay for the you know the studio time and and things like that for the progress for the, for that specific pro- project. Yeah, I noticed you asked for a low amount on that one too. Do you think it's better to ask low and hope that people will go over your goal than just kind of ask for the big number up front? It's tough. You know, because I, I, my first campaign was in 2010, and I raised ten thousand dollars. If I did that now, I probably could have raised a hundred thousand dollars. People just didn't know what it was; they didn't even know what Kickstarter was. Uh, it, it really, it's it's all about. I mean, it's about planning, and then also knowing that it's it's not just about the money. You know, like we now have about two thousand people on our Facebook because we've done two crowdfunding campaigns for that pro- that project. And actually the first one was a sale. Actually we did really three if you count our sales one. Because we put I think I think I put I don't even know if I put ten thousand or eight thousand or whatever for the first one I failed. So I was on tour. I wasn't at the computer. It was just like I, I just I got cocky basically. <laughs> you know, and I had to come at it again, you know, doing a launch event and really taking it seriously and putting all my energy on that one thing. And that's how people knew about my project and that's how I got on CBS Sunday morning talking about my project. And now people, you know, in the industry especially were like, Oh yeah, I saw you on CBS Sunday morning and I'm like, Wow, you know, you didn't met your one of my Facebook friends, you didn't hear me like a million times mention this project. But I saw you on TV on Sunday morning. So now I'm taking it seriously. So I gotta admit I'm not familiar that much with Fractured Atlas. What's kind of the advantage of that one? So yeah, so Fractured Atlas is not just for film projects, but all sorts of projects. They're basically a non profit and you sign up and they're your fiscal sponsor so that people can donate to you, to you as an individual uh, and still get a tax-deductible donation. So this is really good for um, especially bigger donors um, that come in. They, they want a, you know, a write-off on their taxes. So basically we have a domain name. So I, I bought the domain name littlefishesmovie.com. So right now it goes to the Kickstarter page. Now when that ends, I'm going to have it direct to my Fractured Atlas page so people can still give that. So there, to to that to my page until at the end of April, and then the beginning of May when we're really gearing up to our screening, that's when we'll have a full website ready 
to go where we're going to be promoting our, our screaming in Cannes. So littlefishesmovie.com for that one, and then for you just in general, alexianastasio.com, which I know probably I'm going to have to link to off of our website because it's a little bit tough for people to spell, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Frank. Hey, thank you so much for talking tonight. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Um, yeah, and if anybody has any questions, people can contact me like straight on my on my website. Thank <laughs> you.